Welcome, everybody, to the Tag Your It podcast. I am Ray Ray. And I am David Van Bever. And we got a, a special guest with us on the show today. What's your name, sir? My name is Roger. All right. Well, thank you, Roger, for coming on. Um, this is another great show that we have. It's going to be a show with a wonderful testimony. So um, if you know anybody that uh, has been a, you know, well, we all know atheists. We all know people who are a part of the uh, Church of the Latter-day Saints is what they want to call it. Mormons um, for another name. Anyway, um, this is going to be a great show um, to witness a testimony because um, we are. If you've seen the title of the show anyway, it's called From Atheism to LDS to the Truth. And so uh, this is something that Dave set up. So, Dave, why don't you just take it away? Yeah, we're, we are always looking for new members of the Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network to be a blessing to the people who listen to our program. We are partners with the Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network, and we're so thankful for the leadership of the network, people like Rob and Rob Phillips, and we are grateful for the guests that we've had as a result of people being willing to use their gifts for the kingdom service and for the glory of God. And so Roger is just one of our newest members, and I just want to allow Roger to just share a little bit about himself, tell us about his ministry, because this is actually the first time that we've met. So Roger, if you don't mind, just tell us about who you are, uh, how you got into ministry just briefly, and what your role is in the church. Yeah. So uh, again, my name's Roger. I'm here in Lebanon, Missouri. Um, and so I have now been on staff at First Baptist Church Lebanon for a year and a week. Um, and so I was hired um, from the Laclede County Sheriff's Office. I was actually a uh, detective with the Sheriff's Office. I've been in law enforcement now uh, prior to uh, for about five years. Um, and so I had been preaching. I'd been actually surrendered to, to preach a couple years ago, and I was preaching kind of pulpit supply from church to church. And uh, my lead pastor here at FBC said, hey, you, you need to come over here, and, and I think it's time for you to kind of surrender yourself to full-time ministry. And so I uh, prayed about it and really just surrendered to that January of last year. Um, I am the uh, middle school pastor here, and so um, I'm one of two youth pastors that are full-time on staff and doing sixth and seventh and eighth grade. And then um, just in terms of apologetics, we'll get into kind of the passion of that, uh, but I'm also... Um, doing my master's degree right now through Liberty University, and that is in uh, Christian apologetics as well. And so I finished my bachelor's in Christian ministry from from Liberty. And so uh, full-time ministry, only about a year, but uh, it has really been a blessing. All right. And then you found out about the uh, Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network. How How, how is that sort of, uh, how did you get plugged in with that? Yeah. And so, like I said, I mean, apologetics has always been just yeah. a, a huge passion, even before um, I surrendered to ministry. And so um, I was actually glued into Rob, as as okay. David said, uh, one of my good friends is a guy named Steve Strauss. He's the director of missions here in Laclede County. And he had touched base with Rob and said, hey, I know a guy, He's he loves debate. He loves um, apologetics. He's a former atheist, a former Mormon. And so me and Rob had a conversation and uh, I, I, I got signed up and, and, and accepted in shortly after that. And outstanding. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's awesome. 
Awesome connection. So you go from the, uh, so it's not just uh, going from atheism to LDS to the truth kind of a thing. You went from law enforcement to gospel applicator. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's so a, it's a, it's a, in middle, I mean, yeah. youth ministry of all, I mean, I'm, you know, mm-hmm. I'm an, an, arresting, you know, criminals on one day and then I'm, I'm wrangling, you know, middle schoolers the next day. And, uh, <laughs> it, it has been unbelievable. And, uh, it's been a blessing to join a church, uh, and to, to be in a church, but then to, to work in the church that you know and love. And so this is my home church and the lead pastor, my boss, Matt Taylor is the same lead pastor that I accepted Jesus with. And so, um, it really is just a miraculous story and I'm so thankful to be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, as a youth pastor, as a, you know, a, a new apologist to the network anyway, somebody that's been an apologist, apologist for a little bit, um, at least, uh, in, in that, not necessarily office, but kind of in that, uh, um, gumption that you have yeah. anyway, um, are there any projects that you're currently working on? Anything that you're excited about, um, coming up? I, you know, I would say that, you know, of course in, in youth ministry and any youth pastor or, you know, anyone that's in, in youth ministry can allude to, um, every day is a project. I mean, it, it, it really is just nonstop. And I thought, um, you know, you think ministry is, is fast paced, but man, youth ministry, it's, it's, it's its own animal. And I mean that in the best way. I mean, it, it really is. Um, but of course, anybody who has completed a master's degree can also say is that that in itself, um, you know, so much of my ministry is right now just education. And so, I mean, I'm 28 years old and it's so much like God, I, I want to be equipped as best as I can. And so, you know, that's why I tell anybody who's, who wants to get involved in ministry or apologetics, it's like, go be equipped, go get mm. that. Um, you know, that way when you go out, you'll just be more than ready. And so right now, so much of this is kind of my equipping phase of, I think what's going to be a very fruitful uh, ministerial career. So if you don't mind me asking, it wasn't really on our list, but it causes me to think just a little bit. Here you are in youth middle school ministry, and you could have gone for an MDiv or a master's of theological studies. What drew you specifically to that MA in Christian apologetics? Yeah, I mean, and, and, and that was a big, you know, question that I that I battled with. And it wasn't just MDiv versus MA. There, there were several different routes I was going to take, um, and, and it really was just God put apologetics on my heart because it was something I had a passion in. And I, I can hear both arguments. One can say, well, don't get a master's in something that you're already good at. Um, but on the other end is, is I think that so much of how I've reached young people since I've been doing this has been with an apologetical approach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've seen students surrender their life to Jesus Christ because of, I think, an apologetics-based ministry that maybe they've never received before. Um, you know, and I, in fact, I was listening to Frank Turek, who's one of my favorite apologists, and he had made a comment. He said, so many students are talked out of their faith because they've never been talked into their faith. And I remember when I heard that, and I said, you know what? We as a generation, we have a responsibility um, to really just master this, I think. And, and and so it was really at that point that I said, you know what? This is the route I want to take. And so I'm going to complete my my master's in, in apologetics within the year, um, but I plan on going further. And so what that entails, we'll see. Um, but I certainly don't think this is the end of my road when it comes to my education. 
put a plug in for the place that I work. They do have a PhD in apologetics at uh, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Oh, just so you know. That's the place to be. No, and that and that is definitely an option. Um, I, I, and, I, and I really revere what they're doing over there. I think that's good stuff. Well, tell us just a little bit about your life, because again, our episode is titled, you know, from atheism to LDS to truth. I might have misquoted the title exactly, but that's basically what it is. I paraphrased it. All right. Uh, So just tell us a little bit about your life as an atheist. You know, how did you become an atheist? Were you an aggressive atheist? Like, what was that appeal to atheism? Yeah. And so, I mean, I think it's important to start out with, with, I mean, the brief upbringing aspect is that I did come from a broken home. Uh, my parents did divorce when I was in elementary school. My dad does not know Jesus. My mom does not know Jesus. Uh, none of my immediate family members, as far as I know, um, have a relationship with Jesus. And so I grew up in a very um, spiritually non-existent household. And, um, you know, I remember when I was in junior high and I told my mom, hey, I don't think I believe in God. My mom was very much, well, you'll, you'll find your journey, you know, um, and was very hands-off when it came to that. And so I would say I was spiritually apathetic up until my freshman year of high school. Before then, I didn't care. And, you know, and I've learned that most middle schoolers, in large part, that aren't in a church, it's not that they haven't asked the questions. It's like they don't really have asked the long-term questions. And so up until my freshman year, I was just kind of spiritually lethargic. Uh, but once I hit high school, I became very um, radical, I would say, uh, very dogmatic in my in my atheism. And, um, you know, I again, quoting Frank Turek, I think he had quoted an atheist and said that atheism so much is not just that there is no God, but in eight words, it's that there is no God and I hate him. Yeah. It's not enough to say that God does not exist. It's the fact that I'm glad he doesn't exist. Uh, and Hitchens, Christopher Hitchens, uses kind of a totalitarianism argument that God, if he did exist, would be an evil God. He would be a vengeful God. He would not be a God worthy of worship. And so for my atheism, it wasn't enough to not believe in God, but I became evangelical in my atheism. And so God is not great by Hitchens, uh, Letters to a Christian Nation by mm-hmm. Sam Harris, God mm-hmm. Delusion you know, Richard Dawkins, Daniel Dennett, Michael Shermer, Lawrence Krauss. I mean, all of these guys, they were my apostles. Like they were my disciples um, because I would read their books and highlight their books. And then I would go to Lebanon high school and I would recite their arguments to Christians who did not read the Bible because most high school Christians do not know scripture. And I would go from my atheistic arguments to reading the Bible. I mean, I, I read Leviticus and Deuteronomy like you would never expect because I knew I could go to the Christians that were 16, 17, and 18 years old, and I could talk them out of their faith because they had no foundation. Yeah. And so, so, uh, yeah. So as, 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 as a benefit, like what, what is the benefit to this? So like you, you go from this uh, apathetic agnosticism, just you know, happy, blissful. That's just something you don't think about and doesn't, you know, mess with your day apparently yeah. to this militancy, you know, so you're reading things like, what is it like, what provoked you to be vocal? Like, it's not just you read something and you want to be like Christopher Hitchens or is it, you know, you're just modeling somebody that's like a hero or, you know, what is it, what is it that yeah. you have to go? Like, what, what did I think you it, get from yeah. and I think destroying cool. people? 
I think that's an important distinguishment because I think Christians, like if we're <clears throat> if we're right and you don't know Jesus, then you burn forever. And so, like, we have a responsibility that goes beyond ourselves. As an atheist, there was no eternal responsibility. For me, it became political theater. It became <clears throat> no different than arguing foreign policy with your uncle at Thanksgiving. The fact is, is that I knew I was right, seemingly knew I was right. And I knew that Christians were brainwashed, that they were worshiping uh, Santa Claus for adults. And so I considered myself a beacon of truth in a school that I felt was being systematically brainwashed by a philosophical view that was inherently wrong. Hmm. Hmm. And so, yeah, like I said, what, so, so basically like, so then the benefit is the benefit of destroying this is. And in hindsight, I probably wouldn't have said this as a 17 year old high schooler. (laughs) The, 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 the number one benefit is that I'm smart. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm more intellectually, you know, intelligent than you are. Um, and I think a lot of that is those intellectual muscles of, hey, I'm Roger Shear. I'm the best debater in school and I'm smarter than all of you. And even though you all believe this, I'm the one that knows the real truth. And so uh, I think so much of it was like, I'm an insecure kid. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I'm outwardly confident, but inwardly, I'm the most insecure kid in the world. And so I'm going to be as loud as possible in order to try and compromise, you know, what may be my own insecurities. And that's why so many atheists that I talk to, I think we have to know deep down that, you know, this person has a story and there's a reason why they are so militant on this issue, because there's got to be some type of background to why they're the way they are. And for me, it was very much, um, there was a lot of insecurity packed in within all that confidence. That's, you know, thank you for your honesty and, and transparency in that, um, because like, that's, this is what we need to know from somebody, you know, I didn't come from a background where, um, you know, like I always came from a family that uh, held on to the scriptures, even though yeah. like I totally, a lot of the times disagree on things, um, but still it was, Jesus was important. The scriptures were important and I needed to um, read them, listen to them you know, going to church was important. Now, you know, like there would be some legalist issues <laughs> that would yeah. arise out of that, yeah. that I had to get through. But so I don't know what it is to go a day without um, agreeing that Jesus is important. The Bible is important. That church is important, you know? So <clears throat> it's really cool to hear it from somebody that's, you know, can still go back in their memories and be like, here's, here's what I did. Here's what I say. It's kind of like, you know, Paul being able to speak about himself and how he was yeah. uh, prior to meeting Christ. And well, so, and I, and I mean, yeah. I hate to say that I was predatorial because that's never a good word to attach to anything, but I think I was predatorial in the, in the sense that I could go up to your typical Christian and I could say, Hey, do you know the Bible condones slavery? And it was amazing how many Christians FCA Christians that were there every morning. I mean, they were at church every Sunday and they would say, well, no, the Bible doesn't say that. And then at that point, it's checkmate because I've, mm-hmm. I've won. I mean, you, you, don't, you don't know what your own book says. And I knew what the Bible said. I knew the laws. I knew that the story of the Canaanites and all these gotcha things without any context that would make most Christians shiver. Mm-hmm. And I would use that much to my advantage when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was pretty fortunate in that I also was – raised in a home where we read the Bible every morning before we went to school and prayed before we went to school. But I did have an atheist friend 
when I was about 16 and his interaction with me was pretty toxic and I did know how to debate and I did kind of go ad hominem on him on some things and I really didn't address the arguments. And I still, to this day, regret, you know, the way that I handled it. And I think, oh man, if I would have just been more prepared with, with, with the gospel message, you know, with an ability to deal with biblical theology. And again, I think biblical theology starts from the, from the moment a child comes out of the womb, you are mm-hmm. to be bathing them in God's word and then again, immersing them, not in this wishy-washy evangelicalism that is often so popular. And that's one reason we do the podcast. Sure. So, so then there's this dramatic change, right, in your life where you go from being what I would say a um, definitely a soldier in new atheism, right? Yeah. I think that you are certainly what... Hitchens would have loved to have seen developed what Dawkins would have loved. And, you know, I think I remember my copy of the God delusion and it was marked up, but for different reasons than yours. Uh, Yeah. That was my Bible. Yeah. I, everyone should read it. My professor told me not to read it and I read it and had multiple issues with it, but also realized in reading it, like there were all these things that I wasn't prepared for. And that was the key, you know, to me, but, you go from this aggressive atheist who is proclaiming the gospel of the new atheist movement mm. and reciting Dawkins and Hitchens um, from memory to then being engaged by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So well, tell me how that occurs. Yeah. Yeah. So there's an interesting, it's a little misleading to say that it went from atheism to Mormonism to Christianity. It actually went from atheism to brief Christianity to no identity, then to Mormonism, where I kind of planted my feet for the first time, and then back to Christianity, back to here, where I then realized um, this is where I need to be. So I will start with from the first chapter, atheism to immediate Christianity. Hmm. which was uh, my first semester of my junior year. I, of course, militant atheist. Everybody knows I'm an atheist. And I took an art class with a woman named Shelly Osborne. Shelly Osborne still teaches at Lebanon High School. Uh, Shelly Osborne was a devout Christian, and everybody knew it, including me and my friends that took this art class. And one of the sections of this art class had to do with art history. And we would talk about Christian art and stuff like that. Now, granted, it didn't go into theology. It didn't go into the Bible. But I knew that I would use that as an opportunity to try and grill Mrs. Osborne. And my friends are in the class with me. They see what's going on. They're like, this is it. Like, this is this is Tyson versus Holyfield. So she's going over this Christian art. I raise my hand. I say, Mrs. Osborne, is it true that you believe a literal whale swallowed a literal man and that the man was able to live in the giant fish. Like you believe in this, you believe in the literal serpent in the literal garden. You believe in all of this stuff. And she told me, she said, Roger, I can't talk to you about this. You know, this isn't the time or place. Well, after class, she came up to me. She said, Roger, if you have questions about my faith, come with me. And you can meet my pastor. You could come to my church. You could talk to my pastor. We'll even buy you pizza. And I'm like, I'm in. Let's do it. So the next day, 3.30 comes around. We go to First Baptist Church. It's actually not far from where my office is right now. And I sit down with this pastor. 
and we have a debate for two and a half hours about Christianity versus atheism. And what made that meeting so amazing was not the meeting itself. I, I don't remember anything we talked about. But after we were done, Matt came up to me, the pastor, and he hugged me and he said, hey, that was a great conversation. I would love to talk to you some more. Can we go get dinner sometime this week? And I remember that was so crazy because I was so used to talking with Christians and then them never wanting to talk to me again. Like they were like, hey, I'll pray for you. Talk to you later. He was the first Christian in my entire life that had told me, hey, I want to talk to you again. Hey, let's build a friendship. And so we built a friendship over the next few months, me, the atheist, the, the debate captain, and a lead pastor of First Baptist Church, we became best friends. And it was a friendship that was completely unexpected. But I'll fast forward to October 31st, 2009, the worst night of my entire life. I'm a junior in high school because that was the night I had decided I was going to take my life. Mm -hmm. I had suffered from clinical depression my entire life. I laid in my bed, Halloween, I wrote out my suicide note, which I still have, because I decided I didn't want to live anymore. And by the grace of God, I passed out. I didn't take anything. I just fell asleep. And the next morning, for some reason, I felt like I needed to be around the one person who had loved me, which was that pastor of that church. So that morning, I went to the First Baptist Church, and I snuck in because, again, everyone in Lebanon knows who I am, <laughs> snuck in, sat in the corner. And at the end of the message, Matt gave us invitation. He said, if you lack meaning, if you lack value, and if you lack purpose, there is a God above who wants to know you and wants you to know him. And at that moment, I just completely surrendered my life to Jesus mm -hmm. Christ and, and, and said that prayer. Now, that's atheism to Christianity. And you're like, well, wait a second, what about the Mormon part? Yeah. <clears throat> and so I became a Christian immediately. I accepted Jesus but the aspect of family was still very much a problem because my family didn't go to church. So I became the guy that comes to church, <clears throat> sits alone, and then leaves. And I was really lacking the family aspect of the faith. And so shortly after I became a Christian, I had two Mormons knock on my door and said, hey, will you read the Book of Mormon? And I said, if you leave me alone, I will read the Book of Mormon and I will go to your church one Sunday and that's it. I said, but you have to promise you will never come back to my house. And they said, deal. So in less than a week, I think it was like three or four nights. I'm a quick reader. I read the Book of Mormon and I went to church, Mormon church that Sunday. And it was one of the most amazing experiences I had ever felt because for the first time in my life, it was a family connection that I had never had in my entire life. And so like, uh, yeah, uh, let's, let's go off on that. Um, so yeah, that's a lot. what is, yeah. what, what is the difference, um, you know, let, that you experienced going into, uh, you know, mm -hmm. a church service for the first time, you know, what was the difference? Like when you're talking about family, so, you know, as somebody that knows ecclesiology, you know, even that's where Christ says, you know, if you don't love your mother, father, sister, brother, um, more than you love me. Right. So like, yeah. that's the whole point. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm, I'm for some reason, uh, getting some, maybe the coffee's in my, in my throat. Um, but anyway, like this is a new family. So even if your family's, if your family rejects you because you come to follow Christ, they don't want to come with you to say the church service, or whatever, um, you know, what is that difference that you, you've seen between well, going to the Mormon yeah. ward and say first Baptist here? 
And I may make some people uncomfortable. And I've told this to my boss who will listen to this, my lead pastor now. But when I would go to my Baptist church, I would walk in, I would do the obligatory handshake. I would go sit down. Nobody asked my name. No, no, Mm -hmm. nobody. And of course, I'm just the single guy that's wanting to be alone. But I never had somebody just grab me and say, hey, you want to go to lunch or hey, do you want to do this? When I went to the Mormon church that Sunday, I had multiple families come up to me and just hug me and love me. And you're thinking, well, wait a second, Roger, like you didn't even agree with their theology. You didn't agree with this or that. And I think that so many Christians, for better or for worse, they don't care about the theological implications of their church. They just want to have some semblance of that love and appreciation and and identity in that church. And so I think for me, um, I look back, I was young. I was very insecure mm-hmm. and I was very needy when it came to that. And so I started going to the Mormon church. I, I left First Baptist. I started, you know, being around the Mormons. And 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 I mean I was I was integrating with their families. I was I was going on, you know, they would have family home evening on on Monday nights and and I would go and and it just became such a family environment. And I remember when I was scheduled to get baptized. And Matt, my pastor, he called me the night before and he said, Roger, don't do this. Like, don't do this. Please talk to me one more time, meet with me. And I told him, I said, Matt, I'll pray about it, but you know, I think I'm going to do it. And sure enough, the next day, you know, I did, I got baptized. Um, and I look back and I'm like, a part of me wish I could go back and like teach myself like Roger, look, these are the theological implications. But then a part of me wonders how much I really would have listened because so much of it again was just, I wanted to be loved. Hmm. Well, that's, yeah. And that's, and that's one of those things, you know, like, you know, the church is a, uh, is, is a home of needed repentance, but you know, yeah. but that's a, that's, that's something that we do need to hear. Uh, you know, Rob Phillips, a few years back, you know, I used, utilized one of his um, articles talking about like, what can we learn? from the Jehovah's witnesses? What can we learn from the Mormons? And, you know, just the, uh, just the whole way that they knock on doors, that they're, they're for this. And then we see the local Baptist church down the street where they, you know, I don't, I don't get materials. And I'm certainly not having become a Mormon apologist, but like, I, I look back at some of my experience and I'm like, Mormons do a fast and testimony one Sunday a month. And it's like, they use that month and they just, they testify of their gospel and instead of going out to eat, they take that money and they donate it to a local whatever. And it's like, that is a beautiful thing. It doesn't mean the theology is true, but I think I could look at that and, you know, like, what if I did that? What if one day a month I just I just fasted and I just took the money that I would spend on food and I just donated it to charity? Like, I think there's so many aspects of it as a 20-year-old or a 19-year-old, however old I was, you know, and I look back and I'm like, you know what? so much of that stuff really did come off as just a beautiful thing. And I think it was very, very uh, persuasive for me to say, you know what? I want this. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's like we seek signs and uh, we seek, uh, you know, uh, reasons and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, you definitely got sucked in with that, that sign. I mean, they were doing the right thing, but you know, by what standard um, yeah. can I say that the Mormons are doing right? And by what standard can I say what's wrong? Right. And and so yeah. that's kind of like, uh, let's talk about that. So like you, 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 uh, come into that underneath, uh, the, the whole family thing. And I totally get it. You know, that's, they had yeah. a big uh, pushback in the nineties to kind of re-image themselves 
And they were, I remember them putting like, they, they had LDS commercials on TV in prime time. And I remember them being very family focused and all that stuff. Yeah. And I know from other people, you know, that was, you know, they, they lacked family, they lacked community. And here comes the Mormon church going, we love you. We love your wife. We love your kids. We want you here. And uh, they, they're going out yeah. of their way and being very welcoming and bringing you in. And um, so they bring you in. Um, and, uh, so now we're, we've got to talk about theology and stuff like that. So you're, you're yeah. bring you in. So, so, so you have Jesus, right? You yeah. Know, so the more, you know, Mormons have, uh, a Jesus. And so, um, let's, let's talk about that. Like, what about theology? Um, what was your life there among the family? Sure. Well, and, and so, talking to and it, out. yeah. And I think again, young adult, I am, I'm not an orphan, but in a way I kind of am, you know, um, I, I'm brought into the church. I receive the Aaronic priesthood, the Melchizedek priesthood. Um, I am I am getting as involved as you possibly can. I mean, I, I'm I'm um, teaching Sunday school. I'm preparing to go on a two year mission. Um, and then finally, I think once the the honeymoon phase kind of wore off, it's like okay, I'm in it. Now I really need to have an account for why. I truly believe what I believe beyond just, well, they're nice to me and they feed me and they love me. Uh, and so once I started studying the theology, it came back to, okay, reading the book of Romans and reading about, you know, why am I justified? You know, why am I going to go to heaven? Why am I saved? And so much of Mormon theology as I'm studying and I'm reading the, 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 the Mormon scripture, the Pearl of Great Price, Doctrine and Covenants, Book of Mormon, and I'm trying to compartmentalize that with my you know, Bible. And so much of it is worthiness. It comes back to worthiness. Am I worthy? And I think that eventually I had to say, you know what, I've got to talk to my bishop and I've got to ask him, hey, how can I line this up with, with the scripture that I read in the, in the Old and New Testament? And so I had a meeting with him and I remember this very vividly. And I went to his office and I said, Bishop, I'm really concerned because I'm starting to think that my Mormon theology isn't justified by Christ dying on the cross. And his answer was basically, well, no, that's a part of it, but there's more to it than that. And at that point I realized I've got to get out of this. I mean, you're, you're telling me that Christ dying on the cross was not sufficient for grace. Like that wasn't sufficient for my sins that I've got to work I've got to do all of these things. I've got to get married in the temple. I've got to be charitable. All of the, I've got to get baptized. Um, you know, the essentiality of works. And I realized I, I've got to get out of this. And so I, I, I left very, very shortly after that conversation and um, resigned. Actually, I didn't resign until two years ago after I was threatened excommunication. Um, but I did resign and, um, you know, I'm very thankful that I made that decision when I did, because I think Mormon theology, the more you're in it, the harder it can be to get out of it. So mm. I want to stop there and make sure that I'm tracking what drew you was not this, all the historical problems, all of the anachronistic language within the Book of Mormon mm. and non-historical things. It was the completion of the work of salvation found in Jesus Christ. The gospel message is where you just could not get over the problems. 
Well, and Mormons are very good at saying, hey, look, we've got Jesus. Like it's in the name. Like that's their mantra. Like, hey, we love Jesus. We're the church of Jesus Christ. And so that's the foundation. And then they're like, hey, all the other stuff we'll figure out along the way. And so, yeah, I mean, DNA and archaeology in the Book of Mormon, I mean, of the list of things I didn't care about, that was near the top of the list. I mean, (laughs) you know, I look back now and I'm thinking, Roger, you know, be logical, be rational. But I just wanted to be loved. I mean, Mm. you know, and if Mormon theology told me that squares were circles, I would have compartmentalized it somehow. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's where, you know, that you can miss heaven. I guess you can miss heaven by 18 inches. And so we've got to put the head and the heart together. This is like why, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of, I'm constantly on repeat with this, uh, but that's uh, Psalm 42 and 43. Whenever your soul is feeling disconnected, when you're like the feelings are whatever, you know, that's whenever David had to like tell his soul what's up, but what is it? What kind of standards, what kind of word, what kind of gospel, right? Does David need to tell his soul when his soul is feeling dejected and stuff like that? And so, yeah. So you're like in this, uh, you were still, like David in that, in that uh, Psalm where he's just going like, you know, my soul is dejected. Well, here's some works because they are work heavy. So, you know, that there's a reason why they're so uh, oriented. And so doing that because they're doing the works because they need it for themselves. <laughs> so that, yeah. you know, and so it almost like becomes a selfish gospel instead of a selfless gospel, which yeah. is the gospel and stuff. Exactly. But yeah, that's, and so, yeah. So, um, but like David's trying to point out here is that you did have the gospel. You didn't know it. And it just yeah. took, a, it took time to then come out to go like, Oh, wait, yeah, I mean, I'm saying that they bring I you think, in and then we'll figure this stuff out later. Yeah. I mean, I think my testimony was strong. I knew the Bible from an antagonistic point of view. I mean, I knew, mm-hmm. the, I knew the verses where I could, you know, but I didn't, I had no knowledge of, of real good theology. And I think that, I gave a, a, a prayer. I mean, I, I really surrendered my life, November 1st, 2009. And it was very, very genuine. And I mean, I tell people, it's like, I felt like I just collapsed in my chair. I mean, it was truly like a God, I am giving you everything. But I think the problem is, is like, once I got saved, it's like, okay, what now? And then it's like, okay, well, I need to go to church. Well, then I'm going to church and I feel isolated and I'm not getting the things necessarily that I think I needed. And so I go home. I don't have a family foundation. I don't have a mom or a dad that's going to say, Roger, these are the next steps. I'm not getting discipleship. I put that blame on me, not my church. But I was just lost. I was a fish out of water. And even though I knew Jesus was was my Lord and Savior, I knew that first and foremost. I think it was convoluted when I met these Mormons and they're like, hey, we believe that. We believe in salvation. We believe in Jesus. We believe he died on the cross. We believe in all these things. I'm a naive, ignorant, insecure young adult. And I'm thinking, okay, I'll take you at that. Mm -hmm. And it took me longer than I would have liked to understand that that was very, very deceitful and deceptive. Um, But I'm, again, I'm glad I found out when I did. Mm -hmm. I'm waiting for, I'm still getting used to this whole like zoom thing and like looking at Dave. Cause like whenever we're here in the room together, like we were, (laughs) You know, yeah. it's like I, I know when he's going to speak. And then, so I'm sitting here, like, looking at this little picture of him. Just well, I'm having like, fun he, too. Like, my eyes, he, my eyes he's are, getting the finger that up. That really moves into this component of we know, and you know now so clearly mm-hmm. the issues that are actually some commonalities between problems with modern evangelicals and those who are 
in the LDS faith. And so my piece would be, you know, as an apologist, I now think, hey, I know these these individuals who are being sucked into something that is false, but they're not always doing it on convictional, objective presuppositions. They're doing it on some felt needs basis, which Mm -hmm. also you can turn that right on to some of the issues that you have with modern evangelicals. So I guess the big piece I would wonder is first, how do we prevent that type of felt needs? I guess, tipping your hat to the evangelical faith from happening because you're dealing with that now as a youth minister. But then likewise, the other side of that is how do we engage individuals who are stuck in the LDS faith Mm -hmm. and and why is it important even for us to know some of the beliefs in order to deal with those folks? And I think, yeah, that's, and that's the million dollar question. And I guess two part question. First off is how do we prevent the next Roger Shearer from saying, Hey, you know what? I know Jesus. I love Jesus, but I'm going to, I'm going to try out this Mormon theology. I think one, so much of it, the easy answer is education, right? I mean, we need to educate, but then again, I look back at myself and I don't think I cared particularly about education. I think I was being lost in a church and my identity was questioned by myself. And I think the enemy collapsed on that. I mean, he jumped on that. And I think, you know, it's like when a new family comes to a church and they say, hey, we're church shopping. We're checking out this church. How many families are saying, hey, you know what? We're, we're concerned about the theology. No, I mean, they're concerned about the children's ministry. They're concerned about the music. They're concerned about all these worldly things. And while I don't think the answer is that we entertain them, you know, I don't think our answer should be, well, we need to have the best children's ministry ever. I think the answer is that sometimes people don't leave a church or leave a faith because of big theological implications. They leave for reasons that I've experienced. And so that's like in my ministry, when I see a guest, a 20-year-old kid, um, I'm going to treat him like my brother. And I'm saying my flesh and blood brother. I'm going to invite him to dinner. I'm going to talk to him and say, hey, let me get your number. And I'm going to start that right away. And I think so much of the mistake we make in the modern day church is that we let people get lost. And I think that, you know, Paul talks about in Philippians, like, you're my partners. He's telling the church in Philippi, like, this is our partnership. And I I think so much of that is like, hey, we're in this together. I'm going to do whatever it takes. Like, you're my coworker. Like, where you go, I'm going to go. And I think all it would have taken is for one person to like grab me and say, hey, um, let's disciple, let's do this. And I think, again, I think it takes some work from the person. I don't think we can just, you know, spoon feed them until they die. But I think we need to make it a priority to say, you know what, Um, I'm going to take you in and I'm going to give you everything that I have. Now, second part of the question, how do we reach those that are in the Mormon faith? Um, you know, I think that's a difficult question because so much of the Mormon faith is based off of tradition. And so many devout Mormons are devout, not because they've researched all these different faiths, but because they were born in a church that is very much day to day. This is your lifestyle. This is your identity. Your your role as a Latter-day Saint is, is all that you have. And so it's not just convincing somebody 
that your worldview is is more coherent than theirs or that your view of Jesus is more logical than theirs. You are literally having to change the way they see their worldview. Um, and I will tell you that I have counseled students. In fact, I've got a student now. He's a high schooler. Um, his family, extremely devout, and he is wanting to get baptized. He, he has found the light, but he cannot be baptized because his family will disown him. I mean, they, they, they will shun him. And so it is that level of, of just depth when it comes to reaching these people. And so you have to have a knowledge. You have to presuppose that, okay, this is where they're at, and this is where I have to reach them. It's more than just saying, hey, here's the Bible, read this. Um, A lot of times there's just so much more than that. Oh, yeah. And it's one of those things, like you're saying, it's works-based. So, I mean, we're going to be able to um, end up going like, so you're working, you're working, you're working. Where are you failing? Where are you failing? Where are you failing? Because we're going to find that dissatisfaction. I mean, you found dissatisfaction in the theology, so that's not, but you know, they're, they might not be able to to get there yet. Cause I remember talking to some Mormons at my front door and there was like this new guy, new kid. And I can tell he's the new kid cause his eyes were wide open where the other yeah. guys are trying to like argue with me and stuff. This kid was sitting back going like, Oh, you know um, but you know, there's, so there's, there's many ways um, that I can see that. And uh, I'm glad to hear yours. You know, there, there are people in the, in the Mormon church that do know the gospel and uh, they've got it confused. And then it just takes the true gospel being talked about. <laughs> and, yeah. It eliminates an, a, a, a worldview argument that people make is that my worldview will, will help you live a better life. And that's such yeah. a terrible reason to accept a worldview because, I mean, I didn't accept Jesus because I wanted to live a better life. I accepted Jesus because it was true. And I think so much of as, as Christians, we can't go to Mormons and say, hey, become this and you'll be better. Um, because even though you will, from their perspective, I mean, their life is very fruitful. Their life is charitable. Their life is, in a way, the principles and the precepts that we read in Scripture. Uh, Mormons, in large part, they live those out. And so it, it takes more than just saying, hey, become, you know, leave the Mormon church and become this and your life will be better. Because on the surface to them, a lot of them, they live good lives. Well, and that really is where for me, there's this application of apologetics in your life. There's a reason that you are, you are considering going on beyond a master's degree in apologetics. And it is like, how has this march to the truth? I don't know the march is the best word. This very serious struggle wrestling match to salvation. How has it impacted the way that you're ministering now and how you are seeing a real lived apologetic. Yeah. And I mean, and I think that's why <clears throat> apologetics are so important because from my perspective, having those different perspectives and I, and I, when I, you know, I wrote to you guys and I said, you know, a part of me wishes I would have been a Buddhist. I would, I, I could have been a Muslim. I could have been these different things, not to trivialize my faith in Jesus, but to say, you know what, you know, it's like what Paul says, like, you know, to the Jews, I became a Jew, you know, to the Gentiles, you know, it, 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 it's like I can understand this. And in my our other youth pastor, Luke Winfrey, um, you know, Luke Winfrey's testimony is he was born in the church. His dad was a devout Christian and a deacon. His mom was a Christian. I mean, his life is very much like your life and like Adam's life. And it's fun to come together because he can give me that perspective as somebody who has always been in the faith. But 
I've learned that sometimes when you have that conversation with the student who doesn't understand God, they don't understand different aspects. I can go to the table and say, guys, listen, I mean, uh, I remember when I was an atheist. I mean, I remember when I was a Mormon, I remember when this was my worldview. Um, and I remember that these are the reasons why, and I have made so many connections with students, not just adults, but students on the basis of, Hey, you don't understand God right now. Like you're angry at God. Let me tell you about the first 17 years of my life. And let me share that with you. And that's usually when they're like, I want to hear it. Like, I want to hear your testimony. And I think that that is very, very convincing. And it leads to a lot of good apologetical arguments, especially like if you're an atheist, you say, wait a second, I don't understand science versus religion. And then I can go from the perspective of, hey, as an atheist, like this is the scientific worldview I had. But now as a Christian, here's 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 where I've been able to come to, you know, come to terms with that. Um and that's a whole different conversation for another podcast. But being that that being said, I think it so much goes back to Paul and, and what he says, you know, about reaching people where they are at. And I think I've equipped myself to do so with those different backgrounds that I've had. And I think it's made apologetics more than just interesting, more than just a hobby, but truly a responsibility in how I do ministry and how I can reach the lost. Man, that is uh, such a key piece. And I, I love when I get the opportunity to sit down to someone who has seen the implications of not only having a failing to have a robust doctrinal framework, but you entered into the church with no theological framework. And God bless the church that, you know, where you were where you were presented the gospel and given the fundamentals of salvation, but there were these massive, you know, Kuhnian paradigm shifts going on in your life that yeah. you have lived through. Right. And so now you can present that understanding of, wait a second, knowing the framework, knowing the foundations that these people are presupposing because we're very presuppositionalist, uh, that gives you insight in how to to deal with those things and then build upon these incredibly important doctrinal um, foundations that yeah. really do yeah. need to be lived out and and that's why to me this idea that that is often uh, un, unfortunately been put forward the the fideistic idea of well, I just believe just believe there's so many problems with that element uh, and so being able to understand why someone is believing what they're believing is foundational. And not only that, knowing how to defend the faith, because if a Christian would have come to you all the way back when you were a 16-year-old atheist and would have began to maybe spend some time going through things as simple as catechisms, right, and yeah. defending the faith, it would have been, again, it would have shaken your foundations, uh, yeah. because you would have seen some of the arbitrariness of them. And uh, man, I just, I, I love hearing how apologetics, it's just always interesting to me, people who God has converted and drawn out of, of false systems seem to be so dedicated to not only having a grounding in doctrinal truth, but to knowing how to answer when someone asks. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think that's important because I, I'm going to criticize the church again, and 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 some of our loving members 
when you talk to a Mormon, understand the bare minimum to have that conversation because Mormons are very educated on their theology. They are very educated. They do not read the Book of Mormon as an optional text. They read it every single year. They study it. They know their theology. And so when you have an opportunity to evangelize to a Mormon, don't ask them about polygamy. Don't ask them about some nonsensical, trivial issue that has no bearing on their salvation. You have an opportunity to give them the gospel. You have the opportunity to give them these truths that are so important. Do not take that opportunity for granted. Yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, I think you can just take the the whole um, piece of, you know, the whole scripture when it talks about how God works. You know, yeah. these things are all uh, refining. So, you know, those who he calls, um, you know, they go through these journeys. They go through, I mean, I think we should uh, cherish, even though, even though it's in our folly, you know, God took uh, Jacob. Yeah. <laughs> he took Jacob and uh, that was a whole lifelong issue from the birth of him trying to be the first one out, you know, and the fight and the struggle there, the struggle yeah. in the womb to, uh, you know, the whole, um, stew issue and then, uh, to Laban and all that stuff. And so you, you see, um, how God deals with his people and then uses their sin to refine them, to put them in situations that they have to come out of yeah. and wrestle with him. And so like, you've done a lot of wrestling and everybody, and it's, it's, it's not like we're special. Like we're, you know, we have unique stories and unique ways that God uh, has dealt with us, but then he's put us in these situations. Um, you know, he, he marks out boundaries and puts people in the boundary. You know, it's like, that's act yeah. 17, you know, um, God is, God is doing all this, uh, this directing and, and to his ends to glorify himself through each individual person that he makes and calls to himself. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's, it's wonderful that we can do that. And like, you know, whenever we get into uh, first Peter, where we do get our, you know, our go-to uh, apologetics uh, verse anyway, that we, that a lot of apologists like to use, I'm, I'm not there anymore because I use actually the commission <laughs> when it comes yeah. to apologetics. Uh, but, you know, whenever we go to that, like first Peter talks about even the trials and sufferings um, and that it's a refining and, and it's, it's proving the faith and the character of the person. So your well, faith, like I said, you know, yeah. you, you had the gospel going into Mormonism and yes. it was the gospel that you got you out of Mormonism once got you out of got it. there. Right. Yeah. And then so and that's, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing. So, you know, not everybody is lost forever. Yeah. You know, so when, you know, for people, the, the comfort for people that um, have family that are in Mormon churches right now, the comfort is. Well, if they have the gospel, God will bring them out. And so like, yeah, we are means. And, you know, if a, an apologist person was sent to you whenever you're a kid, would you still listen to him? It's still an ethical issue. It's not an evidential. No. Issue. And I, th and I think it's that's not anything a, like that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's, you brought up first Peter, you know, of course the, the apologetical, you know, first Peter three fifteen. be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks of it of the hope that is in you, but do so with gentleness and respect. And I go back to my Mormon days and my atheist days. And I don't know of any Christians. I, I could be wrong. You could correct me. I've never known of any Christians who converted because they lost a debate. I've, I've never known one. I've never known a, a, a Christian who, be, who, who surrendered his life to Jesus because he lost an argument. It's the last two, gentleness and respect, meekness and fear is what the King James says. Um, and I think of my relationship with Matt Taylor. My, my pastor friend who said, hey, let's go get lunch tomorrow. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? 
you're, you're not going to just sit here and say, hey, I'll pray for you with your eyes closed and then walk away. Because that's what all the other Christians have done for the first 17 years of my life. He helped me find the gospel, not through giving an answer because my ears were closed. My heart was closed, but it was through gentleness and respect. It was through a friendship that led me to find the love of Jesus. And I think when you're talking to a Mormon, when you're talking to an atheist, just understand when you look at a Mormon and you say, you have the false gospel, like, how could you believe in that? You're, you're going to go to hell if you don't repent and you walk away and leave it at that. That may be the last Christian that they talk to before they die. Yeah, because we gotta we gotta agree that we we believe in floating axe heads. We believe in talking donkeys and talking serpents. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's it. I mean, and, you know, we've got the virgin like birth. That. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's like we've got the stuff too. Yeah. That is not. If you're a naturalist, it none of it makes sense. And so, you know, we have to admit, you know, okay, you guys have Mormon PJs, magic PJs. Like, okay, that's kind of weird. I still have mine at my house. They never asked for them back, and they're mm-hmm. you know I don't wear them anymore. But you know, it's like. I just think we've got to love. Like, I mean, we've got to be gentle. And that doesn't mean that when a Mormon gives us their answer and we just say, oh, you know, we'll, I think we need to find a balance of saying, hey, here's the apologetic route, right? I mean, here are the answers. Here's the justification by faith. Like, Paul's very clear on that. Let me make these arguments for you. But also, like, I'm going to be your friend. Like, I'm going to love you. And, you know, I'm going to pray every single day that you find the truth. Yeah, because pretty much you you had that community, and so I know I've said this before uh, about Mormonism, and whenever we talk to people about it, and people have come out of it, the big thing is, is you were attracted to the family, and this is one thing that um, getting into the apologetics that I'm into methodology wise, you know, it's when I first saw Jeff Durbin able to not just sit and argue, but go like, I do realize that you have a wonderful community here. Yeah, I do love your community you guys are firing all cylinders when it comes to that. And so the big issue that I drive from there is that whenever we are arguing with Mormons or Jehovah's witnesses or, you know, heavy tradition, uh, family knit people, um, if they are wrong, they lose that. Yeah. And so that's the fear of Mormons and Jehovah's witnesses. Yeah. The emperor like has no you, clothes. I mean, that's it. I mean, mm-hmm. but they yeah. lose. Yeah. They lose family. They lose community. And so, if, uh, you know, say the Baptist church stayed not a family, where, where are they going to go once they realize their gospel is a false gospel? Yeah. And that's so much of the Mormon is like, you mm-hmm. know, Christian, you know, Protestants believe until death do us part. Mormons believe in eternity. And I mean, we're, we're together forever. Your marriage that is ordained in the temple like that will be exalted in the celestial kingdom, like you and your spouse and your children, like you will. And then one day you will become your own God and you will have your own planet and you will. And all of this sounds fairy tale-ish. It sounds very like, wow, that's like out of a comic book. But the more you're into that theology, the more it becomes real and the more it becomes real, the more it becomes authentic. And then it becomes very, very convincing to say, you know what? I'm going to work towards that. I'm going Mm. to earn that. And that can be very convincing for somebody who has been in that for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I imagine even like in your personal uh, engagement with the church and that void that existed because you wanted family, you hear that this is forever, man, they just like shot right at the heart of something that God had actually innately put in you. 
Um, I believe that's very biblical to say that God has given us a desire for family. And here you hear, hey, this isn't just a short-term thing. This is forever. Yeah, um, very, very, very much so. And and again, I mean, I, I said this earlier, they could have told me that circles were squares, that up was down, that left was right. And it's like, I hate to say that like my quest for truth in high school as an atheist, like I'm, you know, I, I want to find this truth. When I became a Mormon, it's like I took a pause from that. And it's like, you know what, I'm going to relish in this because this is what I want from a worldly perspective. You guys have really made this nice. You know, I want this. Well, Roger, I'm so thankful that you would take the time to engage us and share your story with us, because I think not only is it powerful, there is a great call to uh, a veracity and a desire to not only know doctrine, but to be able to communicate it, but not just doctrine, but to also see Christ change lives through relationships. And I think that that's a twofold component of apologetics for sure. Uh, let's kind of wrap up with you just giving us a little bit of information, you know, if, if you don't mind, what were some and what are some resources that you particularly are drawn to that have just uh, helped you develop as an yeah. apologist? Obviously, being a master's <laughs> student, you're reading all the time, but there's got to be a few that are really speaking to you and maybe some things that are really accessible to folks because sure. we, we see ourselves as a gateway to other resources. And that's something that Adam and I just are, mm. are grateful to be able to do is to, to send out resources to other people. And you are, of course, one of those resources. If you have questions about Please. atheism, if you have questions about Mormonism, if you have questions about youth ministry and how to get apologetics incorporated into your youth ministry, which we didn't get to talk about directly, but man, there's a great little piece for oh, you. Yeah. If you ever want to write a blog for us on that, um, be sure to reach out to Roger. You can find him on the Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network page, but help us know a little bit more about some of these resources. Yeah. So I'll give three ones real briefly, and I'm going to focus kind of on the Mormon side. I think the atheist side can be a little more accessible. I think that people kind of, not to say that they, they'll know where to go, um, but just on the Mormon side of things, there are three resources I would briefly share. Um the first one is um, Utah Lighthouse Ministry by Gerald and Sandra Tanner. They're out of Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, in fact, I've, one of my favorite books, it's actually on my bookshelf. I, I lend it out. I mean, you can see this is a big book, but Mormonism, Shadow or Reality. Um, this book is probably one of the top five most useful books that I go to in my ministry when it comes to uh, ministering to Mormons. Another one is a guy named Sean McCraney. He's a pastor in Utah, and his ministry is called Heart of the Matter Ministry. Um, and then the other one, which I'm sure you guys are familiar with, would be Matt Slick, um, a part of CARM. And they do a lot of ministering and a lot of evangelism when it comes to how to reach Mormons. And I think they are uh, CARM.org. You can find all of their stuff as well. And so those are three ones real briefly. Jot those down. Um, there is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to those three. Well, Roger. Well, thank you for that. Oh, yeah. I was, I was going to chime in anyway. But, yeah, I just wanted to thank you so much for that. Um, so, you know, I just wanted to speak out. And if if you are getting a hold of this episode, um, as a Mormon, we want to uh, be able to just tell you um, that we love you. You're made in the image of God. Um, but we just we need to have a talk about who Christ is and what he did. And so mm -hmm. don't uh, you know, if, if you're listening to this, um, don't take this as us having trying to have power over you, trying to get you to convert to convert. Um, but uh, that's what uh, we're here for is to go. Who is Jesus? 
what did he do? What does he do? And we need to ask those questions. And then how do we know, especially with our, 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 our methodology and stuff dealing with how do we know um, these things? And so um, please reach out uh, to uh, any one of us. We'll, we'll talk to you, but then again, um, we are a part of the Missouri Baptist um, convention. We are a part of the Missouri Baptist apologetics network. We are put out there for a reason, not just churches and all that stuff. You can go on that too. If you're a Mormon, if you're a Jehovah's witness or whatever, please contact us. Let's set up conversations. Let's set up a conversation on tag your show with, you know, any of us, Roger, Absolutely. you know, let's have him back on with you to talk no about things and, and, and have that sort of discussion. Um, you know, not, it doesn't have to always be a uh, poignant debate, but it can be a discussion mm-hmm. that Dave and I can moderate. We would love to have that and uh, utilize a human resource that we have. It's not just a book or anything, but a human that has Absolutely. got a wonderful testimony that's lived it so um thank you again for talking about your your atheism uh your 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 apathetic agnosticism to militant atheism to christianity in a way to uh mormonism again back to a true for uh gospel christianity it would be a long memoir i would i would i would shorten it briefly but yeah i mean i think that that is uh that that eloquently kind of uh sums it up Yes. Roger, it's a blessing to get to know a little bit more about you. I'm so grateful. Sorry, I didn't get to, I was only about 30 minutes away from you. We never got to sit down and have a discussion. I know, but uh, it'll happen. There you go. Well, I imagine that we will be at some similar places in the future and we are really, really grateful that you're on the network. And I just want to encourage folks to make sure that they reach out to you. You are a powerful resource and uh, God has just used you already mightily and pray that he'll continue to do that. And thank you. We will have a blog up where Roger is going to answer some of these questions for us in written form. We encourage you to take a look at that is on the tag your it ministries website and www.tagyouritministries.org. There you go. And So. so with that said, Thank you again so much, Adam. I'll turn it over to you. All right. Well, this has been the Tag Your It podcast. I am Ray Ray. And I'm Dave. And I'm Roger. And Soli. Deo. Gloria. Gloria.